Okay, so two weeks ago, we started a new discussion here at Sibyl Creek entitled um, Doing What Jesus Did. So we're exploring this idea of being a disciple of Jesus. We think a disciple of Jesus is somebody who spends time with Jesus, getting to know him. We think that um, a disciple is somebody who becomes like Jesus as we explore his character and his um, attributes, his his values as we learn more about them as a reflection in our own life, then we're becoming more like him. And then, then we wanted to explore discipleship from this third perspective, and that is just doing the things that Jesus did. And um, we started off two weeks ago with this. God loves it when he sees his children imitating his son, Jesus. And God spoke of his son, Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So when God sees his other children, his sons and daughters like us, Christians, imitating his son, Jesus, he loves that. So some of the things that we are covering in that first message is that in the early stages of the journey toward becoming like Jesus... We start just by imitating the things that he did throughout his life on earth. And that's critical, that imitation. It is through the repetition of these important skills that they become a familiar part of how we go about living our life as Christians. We just begin by looking at what Jesus did and endeavoring to imitate him. If we hope to become more like Jesus as his disciples... The earliest steps of following him will be imitating his habits until they become more a part of our own. Does that make sense? So we're exploring the idea of doing what Jesus did. I've promised you that eventually we're going to get to the point of talking specifically about five or six things that we see in the Gospels about what Jesus did. We're going to look at... Jesus' habit of helping those in need. Sharing God's truth with other people who would listen. Jesus spent a lot of his time connecting with family. And that was beyond like blood relatives. People who shared a faith in God and a determination to obey. Um, he spent time mentoring others in their faith. The disciples specifically. And then we see Jesus making sacrifices for the good of others. And we're going we're gonna to explore each of those things and probably a few others as some of the highlights of what Jesus did. But right now, what we're doing is sort of preparing for that, introducing that. So last week, first week, we talked about the role of imitation. Imitating what Jesus did. Today, I want to talk to you about the simple act of doing. And then next Sunday, I want to talk with you a little bit about the place of love in all of this. And then we'll get down into diving into those things. You with me? Okay, so I want to begin with a passage of scripture that um, just gives us a crystal clear picture of something that Jesus did. It's found in John chapter 13. We read this. John, uh, Jesus got up from the meal. He was having a meal with his disciples. He took off his outer clothing, but it still had like a tunic on. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Again, a very familiar sort of custom in Jesus' day at that time. 
Most people, when they traveled, went anywhere, they walked. Few of them had sandals. They walked on roads without pavement. They didn't have sidewalks. So it was pretty typical that most people had very dirty feet throughout the day. And if you went into someone's house as a guest, a servant, usually the lowest servant on the rungs of the ladder, would greet you at the door with a a basin of water, and they would wash your feet before you'd come into the house. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. A discussion ensues between him and Peter. We're going to skip that part and pick it up. When he, when he had finished washing their feet, so he did that around the entire table with each of his disciples. When he had wa- finished washing their feet, he put his outer clothes back on and returned to his place. His place at the head of the table. He was the rabbi. Do you understand what I've done for you? This is the rabbi now asking his disciples, do you understand what I just did? I mean, did you get that? You call me your teacher. You call me your master or your Lord. That's how you referred to me. And rightly so, for that's what I am. Well, now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now, this isn't about a command from Jesus that we should wash feet. Some of you are going, phew, I'm glad that one didn't stick. The baptism one's hard enough, but I'm glad we don't do the... See, he's not really talking about them being willing to wash each other's feet. What he's talking about, their willingness to get up from their place, their position, and serve another person like a servant in a household. Jesus got up from his position as the rabbi at the head of the table. He took on the role of the lowest servant in the household, and he did something that nobody else wanted to do. Jesus is saying, did you get that? As my disciples, what I'm teaching you, what I'm leading you to understand is that if you're going to be one of my disciples, we're going to be a people who are willing to get up from our place and do something nobody else is willing to do out of an act of love and compassion for another person. I've set you an example, Jesus said, that you should do as I've done for you. Truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, okay, watch this. You will be blessed if you what? If you do them. So Jesus is making this enormous declaration for his disciples to understand. He's saying, guys, it's not about just knowing these things. You have to do them. But the good news is that in doing them, there's a blessing. There's something good that comes your way. I have a blessing for those who will not just know what to do, but will actually do it. 
So here's what we see modeled in the first century is a disciple is one who does what his rabbi does. So we can talk all day about being 21st century disciples of Jesus. But the real proof is, do we do what our rabbi does? Do we do what Jesus does? Many Christians can tell you what Jesus did. I think can show you chapter and verse. They can talk about all the theological implications. They can tell you about the cultural context. They can tell you all sorts of things about what Jesus did. But not nearly as many of them understand that as a disciple, they are now to do those same things. We are to imitate our rabbi. James says it this way. Do not merely listen to the word. And deceive yourselves thinking, well, that'll be enough. I heard it. I came to church. I listened. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says. Well, that's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, the words of God, and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. Here it is again. They will be what? They will be blessed in what they do. Oh, we, we love the promise of blessing. We love to think that God might have some good things in store for us. That things will go our way. Things will go better. If I just pray and ask, he's going to bless. We, we love to think it's that easy. But it isn't. There's a relationship. There's a connection Blessing comes out of obedience. You'll be blessed if you do them, Jesus said. James, you'll be blessed if you do them. Because there's a design in the doing that opens up the door of the blessing that God has for us. We can sit around all day and hope and wait and pray for the blessing but it'll never come until we're actively doing the things that Jesus asked us to do. Does that make sense? So how does that work? Like in the most practical way possible, how in the world do we make the connection between obedience and blessing? In the most practical way possible, how in the world do we go about doing what Jesus did? Well, that's that's what I want to talk with you about today. And we are going to get really practical. In fact, we're going to get so practical today it hurts. And here's what I mean by that. Sometimes, sometimes hearing the truth, it stings a little. It isn't intended to be mean. It's intended to be helpful. Sometimes your doctor will tell you things you don't want to hear, but it's the truth. 
His intent is to be helpful. Today we're going to talk about spiritual growth and doing what Jesus did in really practical ways. And I'll just tell you up front that when we come to grips with the implications of it, 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 might, it might hurt a little. But I do it with the hope of helping. You ready? You're like, uh, not too sure now. All right, just stick with me. Um, I've shared with you before. I try not to talk about it too much. I don't want to be annoying. But it's about the most pivotal moment of my life. When I turned 50, it was 11 years ago. I woke up shortly after my 50th birthday, was laying in bed one morning. And literally was jolted awake at a thought. And the thought was this. I now have less life ahead of me than I have behind me. The chances of me living another 50 years are slim. And this started a sense of urgency in me. Not panic, just an urgency. Like, am I where I want to be? Have I achieved the things that I set out to do? Am I even close? Am I becoming the kind of person that I always wanted to be? I ask myself a lot of questions. And this initiated a two-year journey in my life of exploring the idea of what is life? And how do we go about living it? I read books. I listened to podcasts. I interviewed people. I asked questions. I made observations. I jotted down notes. And eventually, after two years, I put together what I would call a teachable point of view about how life really works. And it changed my life. And interestingly, I took all of that and I reduced it to a simple equation, which is interesting because... Me coming up with an, equa an equation, because I hate math, I'm not any good at math, but it just made sense. I, equated, I created an equation that means something to me. The minute I see it, I can interpret it in seconds. You ready? The equation is this. 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 equals 1. Told you I wasn't very good at math. But I know exactly what that means. Now, I'm not going to tell you what all of it means. As a life coach, people pay me really good money to help coach them through this. <laughs> so this is proprietary. But today, but today, I'm going to tell you just a glimpse of what two and three is. Changed my life. And I think it has... Enormous implications to what we're talking about here today. You guys interested? Yep. So along the way, my observation was, as I'm looking at like how people live life, I realized that there's two essential elements of life. There's time and there's energy. And how you spend your time and how you spend your energy will ultimately tell the story of your life. No exceptions. I don't care who you are. This is true of every single person on the planet. I don't care what your gender is, your age, 
your marital status. I don't care your academic accomplishments, your financial strata. It's true of every single person that the story of your life is told in how you spend your time and how you spend your energy. Every single thing that we do in life is a distribution of time. Seconds, minutes, hours, those add up to become days, weeks, months. Emptying the dishwasher is an element of time. Reading a book is an element of time. Playing with your kids is an element of time. Going to work is an element of lots of time. The things you do for a hobby is a distribution of time. From the monumental to the mundane, every single thing that you do is a distribution of time. And our energy. Creative energy, personal energy, mental energy, physical energy, relational energy, financial energy. The energy that we use with the time that we distribute ultimately tells the story of your life. No exceptions. You know, as a pastor, I'm asked at times to to do funerals. And I'm perfectly aware of the fact that someday somebody's going to do mine. Hope not anytime soon, but somebody will do my funeral. And if it goes like most funerals... At some point in the service, three or four people are going to be invited to come to the platform and they're going to share a story or a memory or some sort of reflection of their relationship with me. And here's what I know that nobody's going to share at my funeral. Nobody's going to say, I want to tell you a story about a time when Paul and I played professional baseball together. And he got to, and they're never going to tell that story. You know why? Because I haven't spent a single minute of my life or an ounce of energy playing professional baseball. Nobody's ever going to tell the story about one time I was over at Paul's house. He, he's a wonderful guitar player and, and he's a great singer. And we were sitting around, we were sharing songs that we had written together. And there's just something about the way that Paul plays the guitar. I just, they're not going to tell you that story. You know why? Because I can't play the guitar. I'm rhythmically challenged. Now, here's the deal. I would love to be able to play the guitar. I've taken lessons to play the guitar two or three times, but I've never stuck with it long enough to put the time or the energy into learning how to play the guitar. So nobody's going to tell that story. Now, the stories that they might tell, somebody might say, well, you know, um, I was on Paul's triathlon team. And we did some races together. I want to tell you about an event where we were doing an Ironman and and this is what happened. They they could tell that story. Because I spent lots of time and energy achieving that goal. They might tell you the story about one one of my six Tough Mudder teams that we did together around the state of Texas. Somebody might tell you about a time that they bought one of my sculptures and brought it home and I delivered it to them and they told you about like a memory of us discussing about the sculpture that I did. Somebody, I hope somebody tells a story about the kind of pastor I was. I hope if my boys are invited to the stage that they have a few memories to share about my role as a father in their life. Why? Because I spent lots and lots of time and energy doing those things. Does that make sense? The same is true for you. To determine what the story of your life is going to be. If you want the story of your life to be golf, that's how it will be told if that's where you spend time and energy. 
If you want the story of your life to be told of watching television, continue to put time and energy into that. I just decided 10 years ago, 11 years ago, there were some other things I wanted to live for that I wanted to accomplish and be known about. Not in popularity, but as the quality of the life that I live. And I realized, well, if I want to get there, I have to put time and energy toward those things. Does that make sense? Okay, let, number three. There's three essential activities in life. Again, this is true of every single person on the planet. Everything that we do is a reflection of our thinking. And thinking influences choices. And choices determine our actions. Even when we don't do something, that is the action that we've determined to take. We're just not going to do anything. Because it's a reflection of a choice that comes from some thinking. So everything that we do is an expression of thoughts that go through our head that we have correlated together in some sort of a paradigm about how and why and when and where to do life. And that thinking determines our choices. And those choices influence our actions. Did you follow that? Again, you will not outsmart this equation. This is true of you as it is for me. You say, okay, so why are you telling us this? Why are you telling me, telling me that life is time and energy? And that the essential activities of every person's life is thinking, choosing, doing. Why? If we want to be disciples of Jesus who do what Jesus did, we will have to allocate time and energy toward doing the things that Jesus did. It's that simple. There's no other way. Otherwise, we're just talking. Otherwise, we're just hoping. Otherwise, we're just wishing. Otherwise, we're just wanting to be like Jesus. But until we leverage time and energy through a series of thoughts, choices, and actions in the direction of doing what Jesus did, we will not truly be his disciples because his disciples do what the rabbi did. And we won't know the blessing of being a disciple of Jesus until we do because Jesus and James was affirmed that the blessing is in the doing. You will not know the blessing that comes through doing what Jesus did unless you take the time and you spend the energy to think, choose, and do what Jesus did. Otherwise, you're wishing. You're hoping for something that will not come to you without the obedience it takes to receive it. Does that make sense? It is so practical. Spend all of our time learning about what Jesus did. Talking about what Jesus did. Dissecting what Jesus did. But the real question is, am I spending the time and the energy doing what Jesus did? Because that is, in fact, the point. Jesus said, come follow me. Come do what I do. Come go where I go. Come love whom I love. Come be about the things that I'm about. That is the invitation of Jesus. 
Maybe you've had this experience. Maybe you've had a child in your life who's had this experience. Maybe like a college student. They studied all week for the exam. They go in to take the exam and they realize they studied all the wrong material. Ever been there? Do you know how scary that is? It's just like in the pit of your stomach, you're like, chapters 8, 9, and 10? I didn't even look at chapters 8, 9, and 10. Or, or maybe you've gone, um, you've gone to get your license renewed or for the first time. And you, you, you get to the DMV and you wait in line. You know how you do. <laughs> and the line's so long and it seems like they're taking forever. And there's so many people who had the same idea as you did. And you wait like an hour. And you get to the window. Uh, yes, I'd like to renew my license. And, and what do they do? They say, well, we need um, three Proofs of identity. What? Yeah, we need three proofs of identity. I, like what? Uh, do you have an electric bill? Do you have a passport? And you're like, no. <laughs> you know how frustrating that is? <laughs> to, be, to be there for the, and be there for the, with the wrong paperwork. Or, or maybe your family's planned this big event on your vacation. And you get there and you don't have the right gear. Like you're going to go on this, this amazing horseback ride along the beach of some exotic country. And you get there and they say, um, do, you have, um, do you have shoes with heels on them? And you're like, no, I just bought my sandals. It's the beach. Sorry, but our insurance policy doesn't let anybody ride horses unless they have heels in their shoes. And you're like, oh man, all the money and time that we spent playing with this, and I came unprepared. You know how frustrating that is, right? Or is that just me? I remember one time, um, me and Charlotte, my wife, and three other couples, uh, this was years ago, we were getting ready to go on a, a, a bike ride out in the hill country. Uh, the six or eight of us. And then we were going to meet. We were all kind of come back to this really enchanting restaurant. And we were going to have dinner together. I was so excited. We drive all the way out to comfort. I'm unloading my bike. And I got my helmet on. I'm ready to go. And I, I forgot my shoes. Forgot my shoes. I was the only person in the whole group that forgot their shoes. So guess what I had to do? I just had to sit and wait until everybody got back from their bike ride. Because I couldn't go. I, I didn't have the right stuff. You, does this make sense? Okay, I, this is not to scare anybody. But here's the deal. You ready? Someday. As real as I'm standing here, someday... We're going to stand before the living God. We're going to give an account of our life. I'd hate for us to show up. And we don't have the right work. Because we knew all the stuff, but we didn't do any of it. We're empty handed. We're unprepared. Why? Because we didn't spend any time and energy 
doing what our rabbi did. We were thinking other things. We were making other choices. We were involved in other pursuits. And the story of our life is not a story of doing what Jesus did. And I'm not saying this of you. I'm saying churches all around the world are full of people who know what Jesus did. But they don't do what Jesus did. And Jesus was very clear in that it's in the doing that we demonstrate who we're following. So here's the hard truth. This is stings a little. For the preacher as much as for anybody. We just have to be honest to this. And then we can start. Start somewhere. But if we're not honest to it. We can't start somewhere. We're just deceiving ourselves. It's what James was talking about. Okay you ready? Hard truth is this. If we're too busy. To find the time and the energy. To do the things that Jesus did. We're too busy doing the wrong things. They may be good things. They may be right things. They they may be wonderful things, enjoyable things, pleasurable things. But if our life, if our life doesn't tell the story of doing what Jesus did, then what do we spend all of our time and energy doing? Does that make sense? When I came to grips with this years ago, it changed my life. It changed my priorities. It changed the decisions I made about how I'll spend my time and how my, I'll spend my energy. It, it's not that I'll never do anything fun anymore or anything enjoyable or anything pleasurable. In fact, there's a tremendous amount of joy and pleasure found in doing the things that Jesus did. And I think that's the invitation is, oh, you'll just never know how much joy there is in doing what I did. That's the blessing. You'll be blessed. You will discover things about the fullness and richness of life in doing what I did. But you have to do them. You have to do them. So. This is a question for all of us. A question for you personally. Start there. It might be a question for your marriage. For you and your spouse. To have some honest conversations about. It's a question for you and your family. Like how does this, how does this impact? If this is true and I'm going to own up to it. How, how does it impact our family and what we're doing or not doing. The question is this. What habits, what priorities, and what activities in my life and the life of my family need to shift? 
in order to find the time and the energy for doing what Jesus did. What, what needs to change? Now, again, I'm not talking about every single thing that you do somehow has to come back to a chapter and a verse of something Jesus did. I'm talking about is there an ample amount of time and energy that ends up telling the story about a, about a man or a woman or a husband and a wife or a family that was actively engaged in doing the things that Jesus did. So that that story gets told. Does that make sense? When, when, I, when I put my life up against that question, even as a pastor, some things had to change. You know, it's easy. It's easy for a pastor to know to talk about, to explore and explain all the things that Jesus did. But even the pastor has to ask, am I doing those things? Am I, doing, am I leveraging time and energy toward the things that Jesus did so that the story of my life might be about me being a disciple who did what my rabbi did? And I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you that along the way, what I learned, oh, there, oh, that, oh, there is blessing in this. In fact, there's some blessings in doing the things that Jesus did that all those other pursuits of my life never gave me. Never, never filled a void, never provided the joy, the peace, the satisfaction of fulfillment. Not like these things. It's like. <laughs> I don't know, it's like Jesus knew what he was talking about. So today, again, I am, I'm not pointing a finger. I'm inviting all of us. as a church family that talks about wanting to be disciples of Jesus. Asking honestly, are there places in my life, habits, priorities, or activities that, that need to shift? They need to shift because they rob me of the time and the energy. I, I just don't have time to do the things that Jesus did. I'm really busy. Or I'm so busy doing the things that I do and they're not the things that Jesus did that I'm just, I don't have any energy left. At the end of the day, I'm too tired. I'm exhausted. I don't have time for that. That's, that's, that's how the truth hurts. So I'm just inviting you. Spend the week prayerfully asking the Spirit of God to be at work in your heart and your mind and open your eyes and your ears to what might need to shift. Because I'll tell you, there's few prayers he loves to answer more than one of a child of God wanting to be more like God's son, Jesus. Make sense? You guys are awesome. Thanks for listening. Let me ask you to stand together. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'd love to make your acquaintance. I'll be here at the 
end of the service. Just come on up and introduce yourself. And um, it's always nice to have you here today. Thanks for, thanks for listening. Thanks for at least giving me the opportunity to challenge you in this way. And I hope that the Spirit of God uses this to do a work in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're the kind of father who will tell us to all your days how much you love us. But you're also a father who's loving enough to tell us the hard truths. Not be mean about it. Not to be overbearing or aggressive with it. But just to invite us to think honestly about what it is that you're trying to get us to understand. Thank you for being that kind of heavenly father. So God, I'm trusting that through the work of your Holy Spirit in each of these people's lives. That you will draw them in the direction of an honest evaluation of how the time and the energy of their life is distributed in a direction that in fact demonstrates them to be a disciple of Jesus. Help us with these things, I pray and ask in the name of Christ, the Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.